1: Hello, I'm Lin Lee Fu. Good evening and you're watching The Straits Times' coverage of this year's National Day Rally. I have with me my guests who will help us unpack some of the key points of the Prime Minister's speech. Let me first introduce to you the gentleman on my left, Associate Professor Terence Ho, Associate Professor in Practice at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, National University of Singapore, Dr. Lin Kwok, Shangri-La Dialogue, Senior Fellow for Asia-Pacific Security at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. And my colleague from The Straits Times, Opinion Editor Grace Ho. A very warm welcome, guys. In the first full-scale rally since the pandemic struck in 2020, Prime Minister Lee Sin Lung spoke on how Singapore will face the challenges of a post-COVID future. First off, a piece of welcome news that brought smiles all around. Lee announced that masks will no longer be mandatory except on public transport and in healthcare settings. In other key highlights, Mr Lee touched on the repeal of 377A and the impact of geopolitical tensions on the region and Singapore, among other points. Now, to kick things off, what was the the point or, or one point that Stood up for you most, Terence? Yeah,
0: I felt that this uh, National Day rally was really a vintage NDR that covered everything from the immediate concerns and priorities to medium term issues, as well as the long term infrastructure developments. I felt that it was realistic in you know, acknowledging the challenges that Singapore faces, but at the same time, had this note of optimism and hope for the future.
2: Grace, yourself? I mean, first of all, can I say how wonderful it is to see a full auditorium of people. It's a return to form of the old uh, National Day rallies, both in terms of form and substance. Um, we, we know that in 2020, you know, there was no NDR and it was replaced by a speech in parliament. And last year, it was a hybrid format, um, but also substantively last year, um, the, the geopolitical element was missing. Um, it was more of a domestic focus, you know, on low wage workers, And COVID-19 and so this year you know the geopolitical element was back in full force and um, it's you know we had also these you know big reimaginings of the Singapore landscape which which harks back to 2019 when there was the greater southern waterfront and then this year we heard about the Tuas Port, Terminal 5, um, redevelopment of Paya labour.
3: Lots in that speech there tonight and Lynn what about you? Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Um, I think what struck me because I work on foreign policy was, um, as Grace mentioned, how um, in contrast to the 2021 National Day rally, the Prime Minister this year um, spent considerable time looking at developments such as US-China tensions, as well as how um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine impacts the region. And I think what also struck me and what was very notable to me was how he spent more time in his Chinese speech than his English one on why Singapore took the position that it did in terms of condemning uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as well as joining a relatively small group of countries in terms of imposing targeted economic sanctions against Russia. Now I think uh, Singapore received some, or the government received some flack for that um, position, but I think the Prime Minister actually took time to explain why this position wasn't about siding with the United States, um, but it was about taking a principled approach um, towards foreign relations. And um, this was necessary um, to sort of lay the groundwork. So it was important, not just for the immediate crisis at hand, Russia, Ukraine, but also to lay the groundwork for future positions that Singapore might take, say in the context of heightened uh, geopolitical tensions and any principled uh, principled position it might have to take in the future, such as vis-a-vis the United States or China. All right,
1: let's zoom in into one of the key announcements which is the repeal of Section 377A, a law criminalising gay sex between men. Now Mr Lee explained how the government will repeal this law in a controlled carefully considered way.
4: The government will repeal Section 377A and decriminalise sex between men. I believe this is the right thing to do and something that most Singaporeans will now accept. This will bring the law into line with current social models and I hope provide some relief to gay Singaporeans. But at the same time, most Singaporeans do not want the repeal to trigger a drastic shift in our societal norms across the board including how we define marriage, what we teach children in schools, what is shown on free-to-air television and in cinemas, or what is generally acceptable conduct in public. We will therefore protect the definition of marriage from being challenged constitutionally in the courts. The legal definition is contained in the Interpretation Act and the Women's Charter. We have to amend the Constitution to protect it, and we will do so. This will help us to repeal Section 377A in a controlled and carefully considered way.
1: Grace, your thoughts on this latest move and the significance of it? Well, the repeal of Section
2: 377A makes good the state's commitment that individuals who identify as LGBTQ will live their lives free of fear, um, you know, fear from prosecution, essentially. But at the same time, today, many Singaporeans regard... 377a as an almost defining marker of the values that they hold dear and their, their own definition of what a family means to them, which is that between a marriage you know, between men and a woman and that children should be born and raised within this rubric. So if you remove that flag marker, then some form of assurance may be necessary. And I think that's where the idea of amending the constitution comes in. So this does two things. Uh, First, it recognizes that the extant definition of marriage as provided for in the Interpretation Act and Women's Charter and with that, you know, all the accompanying policies like housing, adoption laws, education, um, even film classification that relies on this definition of marriage. So that will be retained. And second, we protect the definition of marriage from being challenged on constitutional grounds in the courts, which has happened before. Um, And At the end of the day, the the issue is ultimately a political one and not just a judicial one. What is not clear uh, at this point in time is how that amendment will be phrased or implemented. For example, will there be a provision in the constitution that provides for the traditional definition of marriage? Terence, do you have a different
1: perspective on this issue?
0: Quite similar. First of all, I think that this is a move of significance. So even though the Court of Appeal had previously stated that this law, 377A, would not be enforceable, it also indicated that this would depend on the position of the Attorney General of the day on enforcement. So I think this will bring uh, great assurance to the LGBTQ community. And also to echo and what uh, Grace mentioned just now, I think it's noteworthy that um, the various religious groups that have offered some views on this mostly have not indicated that they oppose 377a per se, but that they have two concerns, one of which is that um, the law stands as a marker of societal um, values and norms and uh, fears that this could lead to challenges on the legal definition of marriage and family and so on. And the second concern, of course, is the whether they will have the right to continue to teach and practice um, the belief uh, regarding sexuality. So, I think that's what Grace mentioned, um, the idea of enacting some constitutional safeguards and also what PM said about national policies would go some way to assuaging these uh, concerns.
1: Right, definitely it will be interesting to find out the details when the constitutions get amended um, in time to come. Let's shift gears from that to matters on the global stage. Mr Lee also touched on the challenges Singapore faces externally, especially with strained US-China relations and Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
4: Even as we emerge from the pandemic, our external environment has become very troubled. US-China relations, which sets the tone for global affairs, are worsening. The two powers are divided over many issues. Apart from US-China tensions, Russia's invasion of Ukraine also has profound implications for the world and for Singapore. Our region has enjoyed peace for so long that it is hard for us to imagine things being different. But look at how things have gone wrong in Europe. How suddenly and quickly. And can you be sure that things cannot go wrong like that in our region too? So we must get real and we must get ourselves prepared psychologically.
1: Lynn, I know you've written quite a bit about this. Would you like to weigh in on this?
3: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I agree with that, what the Prime Minister said about how there are many areas of dispute between the United States and China. Um, and while there are certainly many areas which are warranted, uh, I think, such as the South china Sea, where we see, we've seen unlawful and coercive Chinese actions such as the trading dispute, I think um, some of the points of contention are really quite unnecessarily uh, unnecessary and worsen um, tensions between the u s and China so for instance, um, the framing of geopolitical tensions along ideological lines I think that's very um, harmful to relations uh, it unnecessarily deepens divisions between the United States and China uh, it uh, alienates in the u.s um, case it alienates potential partners and of course from the u.s perspective it also um, uh, opens up strategic space uh, for china so i don't really think that this particular framing is particularly helpful and while the u.s has been uh, responsible for um, framing the geopolitical competition in such a manner i think china also has to um, share some of the blame. So for instance, before Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, a couple of weeks before that, we saw both China and Russia uh, issuing a joint statement where China pledged, where both countries pledged um, uh, unlimited partnership um, a, a no no limits partnership between the two countries and I think that has really allowed the United States to seize upon um, what it paints as you know a China Russia alliance which hasn't been particularly helpful to geopolitical tensions in so far it has is insofar as it has cleaved uh, the world into the West versus the rest so I think that's um, been problematic um, on Russia and Ukraine if I may Uh, I think how the Prime Minister has um, really Sought to sort of unpack the Russia Ukraine crisis for Singaporeans to help us understand why um, it matters, even though it's an event that has happened so far away. But nonetheless, it it matters to the region and to Singapore. I think that's been very important. Insofar as we, as Asian countries in Asia, have looked at uh, the implications of Russia's invasion of Ukraine for the region, this is largely focused, and we've seen the Prime Minister also focus on this, um, on food. Um, and energy supplies and prices. Um, if we, uh, insofar as it's focused on geopolitical uh, geopolitical consequences, this has examined, you know, um, the implications of Russia-Ukraine for Taiwan. I think that if we're looking at the Taiwan issue, I do not think that the, uh, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine um, increases the chances of China um, taking out a military invasion of Taiwan. Um, the, the logic doesn't follow. Um, I think China's main consideration in this respect is whether or not it can win a war um, that involved the United States quickly or at all. And I don't think that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has changed that um, factor. In fact, if anything, China would think thrice now about invading uh, Taiwan. But I think Asia, nonetheless, needs to be um, very um, tuned in to the consequences of Russia's invasion of Ukraine for the region beyond uh, beyond Taiwan, beyond uh, food and energy um, supplies and prices. Because first, it undermines the rules-based international order, which was already seeing um, some uh tensions or some pressure prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Second, um, because it also impacts uh, perceptions of China, as well as approaches towards China, as I mentioned earlier, Um, this is cleaving the world um, in terms of Western powers versus Eastern powers, and that's not particularly helpful for um, Southeast Asia or Asia more generally. And um, I think, I think third, we should be concerned also because of where it puts other countries in Asia, not least Southeast Asia, because with this um, cleaving of the world into the West versus the rest, where does that place Southeast Asia? Many countries there are not you know, liberal democracies, or many countries here are not liberal uh, democracies. And so that puts countries here in a rather uncomfortable position where you know, they do not want to pick a side, but perhaps that side is being chosen for them.
1: Right now, Picking up on uh, your earlier point about uh, rising prices in terms of food and energy, inflation was already a problem even before the Ukraine war, as the PM mentioned. With COVID-19 and then the war impacting supply disruptions, among other factors naturally, the rise in the cost of living is top of many Singaporeans' minds. Terence, you mentioned uh, your work on such socioeconomics issues. Um, anything about that speech that struck you in particular on yeah, this? I, I thought
0: that the Prime Minister gave a very good recap of the multi-pronged approach which Singapore is taking Um, That includes, of course, targeted help for households. That includes um, monetary policy, diversifying supplies and stockpiling. And very importantly, he also highlighted the only sustainable medium to longer term approach, which is to raise incomes through uh, more competitive businesses and through upskilling for workers.
1: Grace,
2: yourself? I think what I found also interesting was the reality check that the Prime Minister gave, which is that these spiralling prices are not just about the war in Ukraine, but also um, just fundamental change in economic conditions in the world. So, you know, for example, slowing growth in China, the end of an era of you know, cheap production, cheap goods, and you know, things which we have become accustomed to, which we may now not have anymore. And I think he made a very frank acknowledgement. Uh, and I quote here, "It says, we have little influence over this global inflation picture. But by that same token, <coughs> We do have influence over the domestic picture, which Terence talked about, um, for example, shoring up you know, our national defences, building up adequate stockpiles and essentials, as you mentioned, um, building nutritional self-sufficiency up to 30% by 2030. So, so that was the, the key takeaway for me.
1: Okay, looking to the future and preparing Singapore for the challenges ahead is at the heart of every National Day Rally speech. Tonight, Mr Lee outlined some key things to note. First, the importance of strengthening national identity. Second, staying open and connected to the world. And third, ramping up a global talent pool.
4: Singaporeans are rightly concerned about the impact of large numbers of non-residents living and working here. I talked about this last year. The government is following up to tackle the problems and ease these concerns. But while we manage the overall population of foreign professionals here, we must not stop seeking out top talent who can contribute to our Singapore story.
1: And we're almost out of time and to wrap up this uh, evening's discussion, let's start with you, Lynn. National identity, what's significant for you there?
3: Well, I think um it's quite clear that with um, heightened geopolitical tensions um, between the United States and China, no less, um, uh, Singapore does need to strengthen national identity, not least because its domestic population is 75% Chinese. And if that 75% ethnic Chinese Singaporean population started taking the position that China takes on all issues, regardless of how um, Singapore, what were in Singapore's best interest, then we would have trouble on our hands. So I think. The Prime Minister was quite right to point that out as something that we need to address to strengthen uh, Singapore's resilience moving forward. And um, I think Singapore has a very strong basis for doing so. I mean, Singapore didn't start off as a united nation. Singapore started off as disparate ethnic groups that forged um, a nation over decades of nation building. And so Singapore has... Um, in its institutional memory, if you like, um, the ability to do so and I think um, it really needs to be able to focus on doing so and of course uh, the domestic population as well in Singapore, this Chinese community in particular, need to remember that Singapore's interests do not equate necessarily to China's interests or to the United States interests um, for that matter. So I think that, that's my, um, that would be my um, take on, on his point on national identity.
1: And about uh, building a global talent pool, Terence, what do you make of this point on staying open and of, of course Singaporeans' concerns about the rising number of foreign talents?
0: Yeah, I think this was a very important and timely reminder that, you know, remaining open to capital, to talent, to ideas is really the lifeblood of Singapore as a small, open economy. It's really fundamental to our economic survival and competitiveness. At the same time, there is also a subtext, of course, that um, this openness must benefit all Singaporeans, that... um, you know, we need to mitigate some of the downsides and some of the um, unintended consequences of of the increased competition, of course, the prices and so on and so forth. And I think that also ties in quite neatly with the emphasis on uh, building infrastructure for the future as well. It's one way to give uh, Singaporeans and Singapore workers a premium for the equivalent skill levels that we have in terms of being connected, being a hub, uh, being a global city.
1: Grace, final thoughts? I think my final thoughts
2: are linked to Lin's, you know, I mean, this question of sovereignty, which was raised in the speech today, um, it's not just about the external position, but also the internal dimension of, you know, beefing up uh, Singaporeans' understanding of the vulnerabilities, you know, the history, um, sort of inoculating them against the disinformation campaigns, you know, that have gathered pace, um, And I think PM, uh, in his Chinese speech, you know, raised certain questions like, don't believe everything you read online. Where did the news come from? Or what's what's the motive? You know, do I really need to forward it to my friends? And, you know, this aspect of, you know, media literacy, evidence-based critical thinking, I think is really, really crucial. But he also used um, this wonderful phrase, um, that the next few decades will be bracing but exhilarating. Like the fact that, you know, in the midst of challenges, there's this message of, you know, we're forward thinking and this hope and, you know, there's actually joy in the process. And I think that's that's what we need to take away from, you know, an annual policy speech that's not just about the challenges, but also you know, plans for the future.
1: And on that positive note, that's all the time we have for tonight. A big thank you to Terence, Lynn and Grace for your thoughts and perspectives and to our viewers watching. A very good night to you.